Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host today has her debut comedy album coming out this fall. It is called Ice Cream Money, so you can look out for that right now. You can listen to her on the podcast TV I Say with Ashley Ray, which also has an accompanying newsletter that you can subscribe to. She was this year cited as a BET Black Woman comic to watch. She is Ashley Ray, as if you name any podcast didn't tell you that. Welcome to the show, Ashley Ray. What else do the people need to know about you before we get going? Uh, you know that I I know my podcast is mostly about television, but I do have a deep, deep love of film. Uh, I, I studied film in school and, okay. you know, I, I had to walk away from it because I think it made me a very pretentious person. And okay. so I, I had to go the complete other way. I, you know, I went with reality TV and just. I know you do do vulture recaps. I've, yeah, I've read some of your yeah. vulture recaps and I've, I also read your uh profile of Quinta Brunson for Vulture that I liked very much. Ah, yeah, she's absolutely amazing. I I felt so lucky I got to do that. And yeah, I I mostly recap 90 Day Fiance now. Back in the day, I would do... what they what they would call peak TV, you know, for the AV club and stuff. Yes. Uh, but as I became a TV writer, you know, I couldn't really be a TV critic anymore. The, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people who, I guess, walk that line. But for me, it, you know, I wanted to really be like, I'm a creative. I'm stepping in this other world. I, you know, and also you get a lot of like people remember okay you give someone's like blackish episode a c on the av club back in like 2016 they're gonna remember forever so it is really a thing of like hey you know i put that cap aside i am a creative now but you know i i after that kind of was like i'm gonna focus on reality tv i just Mm -hmm. like yeah i want to have fun with the media i consume and so uh, that's what I've been dedicating myself to yeah. since is is a lot of reality TV and just, <laughs> and just like sitcoms that make me smile and laugh. Uh, but I I used to be such a film buff, so I'm really okay. excited to be here. Can I ask if you had a tipping point where you were like, if I go any further, I'm going to turn into the worst film bro. And so oh, I yeah. have to turn back. What was like becoming your most film bro point of view? <laughs> Okay, I mean, I I was there. I was the worst <laughs> film bro. Like there was, I was no there. I was there. I mean, okay. I went to like this little liberal arts New England college uh, where I took classes like the art of Ingmar Bergman. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> my senior year, I did this thesis that was basically like. I, I don't even I just wanted my school to pay me to go to Sweden and watch Ingmar Bergman movies. Uh, and they <laughs> did. I like feel I like applied for this fellowship thing uh, where I was like, oh, my dad died. And like uh, Ingmar Bergman helped me process it. Let me go to Sweden and find out why. Yeah. <laughs> and they okay. were like, absolutely. Here's like 20 something thousand dollars. And Whoa, it a, worked. It worked. It worked. I was like 20 years old and I was just like, this is wild. Uh, so I went. Did you go in. to Sweden? And I went to Sweden. I did. Yeah, I went to Stockholm, uh, and then I went to Faru Island, which is the little island he lived on. I was just talking to a friend from Sweden about that island last night. Ah, it is cool <laughs> as hell. So it's not even off the coast of Sweden. It's off the coast of Gotland. Okay. Uh, so you have to like take a plane and a boat to get there, and most people stay on Gotland and then take a little ferry across to Faru, and it's so tiny. I think there's something like. 150 people and Ingmar Bergman basically took over the whole north part of this island (laughs) and everyone who lived there was just like that's chill bro we won't tell anybody you're here like like, he built his own theater he basically had like his own little town and now there's like a Bergman library on this little island and every year they have Bergman fest Uh, so I got to go for Bergman fest Uh, I got to you know like taste the wild strawberries and go to the beach where they film persona Uh, (laughs) what a what a what a gambit you ran yeah yeah and (laughs) I mean it was truly yeah 20 year old Ashley oh she was running the game back then (laughs) like they paid for my housing I stayed in like the cabin of this really sweet little like Swedish family uh they had like a this was like before Airbnb was really popular but like you could search for these like cabins to rent and they had just like a cabin they built in their backyard that was like for their grandchildren but they would like let people stay there during Bergman Fest uh, and they were so sweet. Like the first wow. night they were like, come sit with us, have dinner. They made me Swedish meatballs and they were like, we love Obama. So just, 
FYI, we love Obama. And I was like, very cool. Love it. And they were so sweet. Like they keep it. They were like, we love the, we'll keep in touch. Like they added me on Facebook. They support my career so much that my podcast for like the first year and a half was huge in Sweden. And I could not figure out why I was like, why am I the number one, number two TV podcast in Sweden? They fucking told Uh, everyone. They did. They were like, Ashley, we support so much. We have our friends listen. And I was just like, (laughs) you're holding it down for me because I am I'm getting numbers in Sweden. Uh, So I lived there for a while uh, and, and just got to like study with people who like, I worked with this guy who, um, he went to Nigeria to Nollywood and like showed Ingmar oh, Bergman movies cool. uh, to see how they kind of responded. And, you know, they had a translator and uh, you could kind of understand the universal themes of like how people approach death and mostly like how Bergman was so funny and people don't really realize that. But there were jokes that were really universal and sort of worked with every audience. Um so to say, like, was there a moment? I guess it was at any, that whole part, that whole year, I just had my head up my ass being the most, like, <laughs> pretentious. <laughs> like, I was literally at Bergman Fest talking to people like, oh, wow, you, like, haven't seen, uh, like, this rare edition yeah. of Smiles of a Summer Night. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you're not aware of Bergman's best comedy. That's really wild. <laughs> So, that's so surprising for you. That's yeah, that's so surprising. I thought you were like an expert. Huh? <laughs> you know, wow, people. what an incredible, what an incredible story. I I am so glad you did that and that you yeah. have that to look back on in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And now people would never imagine. Now to like I'm just like, you guys been watching my strange addiction. It's back. I love it. <laughs> I watched a girl eat toilet paper for five hours. <laughs> for our intents and purposes today, what is the character you have brought for us to discuss for your feeling scene episode? Yes, uh my character is Clementine from uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. My name is Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. No jokes about my name. Oh, no. You wouldn't do that. You're trying to be nice. I don't know any jokes about your name. Huckleberry Hound. I don't know what that means. Huckleberry Hound? Are you nuts? It's been suggested. And this is Michelle Gondry and and Charlie Kaufman? Yes, Michelle Gondry, yes. Charlie Kaufman, uh, and played by the amazing, wonderful Kate Winslet uh, and Jim Carrey, uh, and not his first like dramatic role, but I think one of his best. So yeah, in that era where like Jim Carrey, like you could see it in his eyes, he was like, "I'm gonna get that Oscar." Oh like, yeah! After all this time, I'm gonna get that. I'm Oscar. gonna get it, and I, I mean. I really think maybe he should have for this role, honestly. I think, like, you look at it now, like, this in the Truman Show, he really it was like, you were up there, Jim. Yeah. Like, you you put in the time, you put in the performances, Jim. Precisely. So, you know, I, I feel like today he feels a little underappreciated because we didn't really get the gems like Eternal Sunshine and, and these places. So, uh, I said these places. That is not the name of the Truman Show, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, an Eternal Sunshine is a it is a breakup film, but oh, it's a breakup yes. film by way of what if two people uh, had the ability to decide to erase specifically all of the memories that they had that included like the person who broke their heart. And is that really what you want when you realize the scope of how much a person touches and affects and changes your life when you're intimately involved with them. So as he goes through this sunshining process, Jim is realizing that like he's literally watching his memories be pulled away from him and vanish into the black. And he wants to reverse course at a certain point as he's watching himself lose Clementine. And Clementine too has engaged in this process of memory eradication. And you know, Elijah Wood is there being one of the weirdest predators (laughs) ever in a movie. Yes, And you get a young Mark Ruffalo dancing in his tiny whiteies with Kirsten Dunst. Yes. 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 We've got we've got the momcore hottie himself, Mark Ruffalo here with his little <laughs> glasses, little spiky up hair. Oh yeah. Um, and it is it is it's so in I, as a millennial, as an elder millennial, <laughs> watching this movie anytime it comes back, I always feel this like this fear that it's not going to hold up, even though I know it's great because uh. I'm, it's such like a dorm room staple from that era. I'm like, were we just kids? And this was <laughs> blowing our mind for the first time. And it's like, no, 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 no. 
this movie's really good. Yeah, this movie's incredible. I mean, so, okay, I, I'm also a, a millennial. I believe I am just not elder, but just, like, right in the middle, I guess. Because right. I was 13 when this came out, which is okay. prime age for a movie like this to turn you into a pretentious asshole. That's really getting you right at the beginning of adolescence. Right, yeah, right at the right time. Yeah, it's like, that was, it was just a real what I needed in that moment, you know, like, right on time. I yep. remember watching it in theaters and being like, oh, this is my entire personality now. This is everything that I will be, want to be. I, like, this is how I, like, view love. This is how I will see romance now. Uh, I loved it so much. I started, uh, and again, this, I was 13. This is 2004 when this comes out. Mm -hmm. I started a live journal, like, community that was just like, I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, that was the time for it. Yeah, you know, like we, you would make your little mood like icons, and you could like <laughs> customize them. So I did like a like set based on the movie. Uh, like the people in the group, we loved it so much that we like pulled our favorite quotes from the script, and we were like, "What if we made like orange hoodies, like the one Clementine wears when she meets Joel on the train?" Mm-hmm. And then on the back, we just like cover it with like our favorite quotes from the movie. And I was like, yes. this is brilliant. Absolutely. I need to do this. And this is, I, I don't even know why my mom let me, but I was just like, mom, I need, <laughs> I need a, like a gift card, credit card, something. Cause this was, you had to buy it on the internet and this is like yeah. early PayPal. <laughs> And I'm just like a 13 year old giving my like address and card information to someone in a live journal group being like, I'm going to get a hoodie out of this. And I did. I did. Did you love it? Oh, I absolutely loved it. I wore it constantly every day. It was also way too big because I don't know why I just was like, I want it to be like baggy and cool, like Clementine, (laughs) but it was just too big, but I didn't care. I would wear it all the time. Uh, I actually still had it until I gifted it to a friend recently. She was like obsessed and I was like, you should have this. So what a beautiful gift. Right. And that's I truly wanted to be Clementine. I was just like, this is so quirky. I'm wearing like an orange hoodie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Like I just I see things different, you know. Wow. What was it about her? Did you feel like you were the same kind of different as Clementine? Or was this like an aspirational kind of difference? You know, it's interesting. I think uh, this is the era of the manic pixie dream girl, right? Right. You know, where... And this is the movie, like, that effectively, like, skewers the manic pixie dream girl before the manic pixie dream girl terminology, like, Like, even even existed. Exactly. And there was still like this expectation of like women are there to help men figure themselves out. And Mm -hmm. I, and this is also like the L word had come out around this time. And I mean, I was like a little lesbian. I loved the L word. There's like a speech Jenny gives in the show where she's like, fuck you, Jenny Schechter. (laughs) Oh God. I know. I I know it's traumatizing to bring her up. (laughs) But my favorite quote from the L word comes from Jenny Schechter. And it's like a woman wasn't meant to be consumed and chewed up so that a man could fucking evolve. And I was like, Jenny, Jenny, yes, girl. So, you know, even a broken clock, Jenny Schechter. Even. Yeah, she was. She had like, actually, I think that was the only time she wasn't even right twice in the whole history of the show. But that one line was so good to me and was what I kind of clinged on to in that like wave of like my. My feminist ideals. And you're talking about like you can't. You saw this Gondry Kaufman film. Yeah, and, like, and I was like, I am strange. It makes so much yeah. sense. You'd be like Jenny Schechter. I hear. I you. hear you. And Clementine, <laughs> I felt was the same way. Where she was like, you know, I'm not yes. here to be like invaded, consumed, so some man can evolve. And we see her evolve just as much mm-hmm. over the course of the movie. You know, we see her memories. We start to like understand her more versus this just being like Joel's thing. No, I'm not married look man i'm telling you right off the bat i'm high maintenance so i'm not gonna tiptoe around your marriage or whatever it is you got going there if you want to be with me you're with me okay too many guys think i'm a concept or i complete them or i'm gonna make them alive i'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind don't assign me yours remember that speech really well. I had you pegged, didn't I? Yeah, the whole human race pegged. Hmm. 
Probably. I still thought you were going to save my life. Even after that. You know, I loved that about it. I love that she kind of, to me, felt like this real-life version of Daria, another sort of just, like, cool girl that I was, like, drawn to as a kid. So I was like, oh, you can do that. You can, like, be that in real life. Like, you can. (laughs) And, you know, now I watch and I'm like, okay, yeah, she's absolutely, like, so annoying and, like, like quirky and... Of the time, sure, but, like, you know, it just made me learn to just feel so embraced in my in my flaws and mm-hmm. the things that were imperfect about me. It just really teaches you kind of, like, that stuff doesn't have to, you know, define you. And also, Clementine, like, she makes this, like, she's the one who starts this whole thing. She makes the rash, mm-hmm. immediate decision to have yes. him wiped. Like, and hers is successful. She doesn't try to fight back. Like, she's down with it. She's ready yeah, to move she on. She just lets it go. She's like, yeah, and now I'm, I don't know you and I'm dating this guy, okay? Uh, Patrick, baby boy. <laughs> yeah, baby boy Patrick. Yeah, little which, Elijah Wood. Yeah. In the movie, I always, that's like the one quote that sticks with me when she sees him in the, like, over and over again and Joel's trying to remember his name and she, he's like, Patrick, baby boy. You won't believe it. She's there with this guy. This really young guy. And she looks at me like she doesn't even know who I am. Excuse me? Can I help you find something, sir? Hey, Tomato. Patrick, baby boy. What you doing here, baby? Just came to surprise you. Let me know if you need something, sir. So I just love that, like, she isn't held down by this heartbreak. She is someone who's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm ready to just move on and, like, I wanted to approach things with that kind of strength and just the ability to to walk away from something at any time, I guess, which is what she kind of does. And then she realizes yeah. she needs to walk back and, you know, she's missed something here. So I that, that just made me feel seen. You erased me. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this in the first place. I'm sorry. You. You, you know me. I'm impulsive. Do you find that you tend to are you a are you a charge forward and then maybe reel it back uh recalibrate oh, kind of individual absolutely. or are you like a more cautious steps forward? Uh, no, I first of all I'm okay. a, I'm a Sagittarius. So I am just <laughs> like rip roaring, let's do it. Good sounds great. Good decision. Let's go. You know, I'm absolutely like I was like that would be me like Clementine. Like I would be like I did my surgery. It was chill. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> like Yeah, totally. So you know, not even sort of stopping to think or consider, you know, what does this mean? What is it? How could this hurt the person that I'm erasing? Those sure. are all things that like Clementine, I would not have considered when I was just like, oh, this will like make me have fun. Cool. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I absolutely just like, you know, my whole I'm just as soon as I'm like, this is what I want to do. I have this idea. I start working yeah. towards it. And then sometimes I have I to, mean, like, you started down. the fucking live journal community around Eternal Sunshine. You yeah. were like, I need to go be with Bergman in Sweden <laughs> and I'm going to do that. And I'm 20. So you clearly. Yeah. You know, and it's forward. like I was just focused on that. And uh, then, you know, maybe now looking back, I'm like, oh, I could have probably got like a job that summer and like <laughs> made money. I could have gotten like an actual internship that would have like given me experience with it but then I'm like I don't know I got to have fun in Sweden no regrets no you gotta have fun in Sweden and, and like you said and eat the strawberries and eat the strawberries and you know what I think Clementine would have no regrets about the fact that she did do this because it gave her this yeah. newfound like understanding of the depth of her emotions for Joel and even the emotions she had within herself uh, about like you know when we see her focusing on like her childhood and stuff so mm-hmm. it's amazing now I'm nice God, don't you know any other adjectives? I don't need nice. I don't need myself to be it, and I don't need anybody else to be it at me. Okay. Oh, 
we meet um, Clementine in this movie, we, we see her on the train with Joel and she's being very forward and introducing herself to him. But then she's also like, he's like, oh, you know, you seem nice. And she's like, I don't need nice. Like, nice isn't uh, what I need yeah. to need to be to other people. I don't need people to be nice to me. Like, to- what, was your, oh. what were you a kind of brusque child yeah. when you're watching this? And you're like, yes, fuck yeah. Or was that something that yeah. felt motivating? No, oh, that was absolutely, I was like, she's so right. Amen, girl. Okay, <laughs> I don't need nice. Okay, I... That just, like, I was absolutely, and I mean, again, I'm a Sagittarius, so I'm not just, like, I, like, I am, like, gonna say it to you very straightforward, okay. very, like, what, I'm just being honest. So, <laughs> when she says that, I was just, like, exactly, I don't need to be fake, I don't need to be nice. Yeah. Like, you can, and, and I do honestly believe, like, as a young black woman, that was a, a, a cool thing to hear, even though yeah. it was coming from Kate Winslet, but, you know, a lot of times you <laughs> are told, like, don't seem angry, like, you know, mm-hmm. do smile, like, make sure that people feel comfortable around you and this kind of just gave me this permission to be like that's what's no see society needs demands that for me but like (laughs) i don't need nice you know and i embrace that to to yes there were good parts of it you know like I had a very embarrassing spoken word phase where I... Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I was very uh, pretentious um, and gross. Uh, (laughs) But like I would do these poems that were just very like, (laughs) very in the theme of like, I don't need to be nice. Like I had one that was, um, this was like when people started using the phrase hookup culture and people okay. were like, what does hookup even mean? Like, if you just make out, is that a, what does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. like, oh, it's a way for this generation to evade, uh, you know, details or responsibility around sexual acts and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, you know what? I don't hook up. I fuck. This <laughs> 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 whole poem. Whoa. That was just me being like, I don't need to play nice and hide what I'm doing from the world, okay? Yeah. I fuck. I'm not afraid to be me and say it. And so I, this is this is me watching Deaf Poetry Jam on HBO yes. as as a young person. And you absolutely know Clementine would have been on Deaf Jam with like white girl dreadlocks and <laughs> I I was so inspired by her in having that attitude towards just everything. Like I, and it was like good in, in respect to that. And then, you know, also like I would have friends who would come to me with like problems or issues and I would just mm. be like, you need to just handle it. Okay. <laughs> like we handle have no, it. like, yeah, no need for nice, no need for, you know, this understanding. Think logically and let's go. <laughs> so. <laughs> do you, now, do you still, in your evolution, are you like, I'm still mostly that way? Are you like, I'm, I've kind of oh, couched no. it a little bit. Yeah, I've I I had to outgrow that. I think like <laughs> no, like you know, you you uh, take a look in the mirror. And also, when I got to college, I started smoking so much pot. And then you just okay. kind of, you know, you do some pot, you do some drugs, and you start to like look at yourself, and you're like, oh my gosh, what are these ideals I hold, and why? Why? <laughs> what are these like standards for society that I've made up for myself that like don't exist anywhere but my head? Like, let right. it go and just live. And that, you know, then you, that, that, uh, I thank God that I started smoking pot in college. (laughs) Like a lot. Like I, you know, don't tried it before, but that's when I was like, oh yeah, okay. I'm, I'm like gonna open my third eye and, (laughs) and stop being like pretentious and also realize that these things are pretentious. Like, you know. That's incredible that you got to college and were like, I need to stop being pretentious. Yeah, okay. That's normally the kickoff. But like, like, let's also consider that like my senior year, I still was doing things where my friends would be like, every week we're gonna have like a movie night and in your dorm, we would like do it in different dorms. And, you know, most of the, every week it would like rotate and most people be yeah. like, oh, I'm going to show Clueless. I'm going to show maybe something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I would be like, hey, everybody, you guys want to watch Persona? There's a scene <laughs> where they slaughter a lamb in the beginning, but just like ignore that. Or what you want to watch? You want to watch? You through- won't like directly need it for the rest of the movie. So you yeah, go yeah. to the bathroom then. Like, in fact, actually, you'll be wondering the whole time, what did that montage have to do with anything? But don't worry. <laughs> at the end, we can have a conversation and break it down like exactly what we think that was an allegory for. So otherwise, we can do Through a Glass Darkly. Are you guys interested in, you know, the, the Bergman trilogy? 
trilogy, you know, and as we all know, it's a technical trilogy, not a real trilogy. Not a real um, trilogy. And I was, so that was me. Uh, so Good. So that, you know, and then, like, I graduated, moved to Chicago, and I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to drink 40 ounces of PBR and watch Hoarders. So... <laughs> You really, you lived a lot of life in those Bergman years. And one is ready to, in a way, I think, retire after that. Exactly. And I owe it all to Clementine getting me there and showing me that I could be pretentious, that I could be, you know, (laughs) someone who isn't nice and doesn't care about the mainstream. Oh, all my friends are going to see... 13 going on 30 or something. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, Philistines. <laughs> like, goodness, I'm going to see Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> you know. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with more Ashley Ray. Then I'll have one quick thing before I go about the cinematic event of the summer, Barbenheimer. Who in their film Twitter loving mind doesn't want to hear about that? So stick around. I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests and bring them down to our level. We got stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Can I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. Oh, Russ. Hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I found you in line. These clouds are really freaking me out. I hate having to stand in line. And boy, what a line. These giraffes do not smell good. No, they do not. And they have such short necks. But I'm hearing we need to get on this we ark. we got to get on the ark. It yeah. is about to rain. God is about to destroy humanity. Hey, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Are you Noah? Yeah, I know we look like humans, but we're actually, (laughs) we're podcasters. (laughs) We are podcasters, so it's different. Have you heard of Ono, Ross, and Carrie? We investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal, stuff like that. And you have a boat and say the world's going to end, so it seemed like something for us to check out. We would love to be on the boat. We came two by two. What do you think? Ono, Ross, and Carrie, available on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. My co-host today is comedian, writer, and host of the Earwolf podcast, TV I Say, with Ashley Ray. She's feeling seen by Clementine in the 2004 film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a movie she first saw when she was 13 years old. There is, I was talking to a friend about this just yesterday, about when you're young and you're just impervious and like you're right about everything and Uh, you could never you're and I that is such it's it's such an infuriating thing to encounter like as somebody who's not in that like teen to early 20s range mid early mid 20s let's say but like I I am so happy for people who are in their invincibility era because like listen you're not going to get to keep that with you. Like, yeah. if you are any kind of reasonable, empathetic person interested in the development of your own emotions yeah. and mind, you're not going to believe forever that you've got it fucking all the way figured out. So when you're, like, 16 to 25 and you're like, my parents are stupid. Nobody knows more than I do. I'm inventing these intellectual concepts for the first time. What a beautiful halo to exist in if you get that era. Yeah. In your in your life, so I I I Embrace, am so happy it. for people being in that time of their lives. Yeah, like I owned it. I knew what I liked. I knew who I was. I knew what yes. I. You think you know what you and all this stuff. And I was just like, no, I'm a like I would spray paint like you know the riot girl symbol on my bags. I was like, yes. I yeah, I'm a <laughs> all cool girl. I dye yes. my hair. I like get highlights. You know, <laughs> and it was just really great to have a main character who was a main character and not just, yeah, you know, second fiddle to some guy's growth uh, to realize like, oh yeah, I can also do that on my own. Like I never felt this pressure to have a boyfriend or, mm-hmm. you know, felt like I was defined by relationships. I mean, I dated and stuff, but like I didn't, mm. 
it was always very, I mean, like Clementine-esque where I was just like, baby, I could erase you tomorrow. So. Yeah, yeah. No, so when you were watching it even then as a kid, was you were you aware of how different Clementine felt as a character? Like, I haven't received this sort of option before. Did she feel distinct from other examples of like women in cinema, girls in cinema you had seen? Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, I was 13. I can't think of like really anyone who was as aspirational to me. Uh, I, I mean, I think around that same time I watched Ghost World. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yes. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, wow. Ghost and, World. What and, a fucking moment. Oh, yeah. And Ghost World, I think uh, Enid, the main character in that, is also very similar. Uh, but there is a deeper sadness. Like, she doesn't have the sort of confidence as Clementine. But I liked that, you know... She liked to go to record stores. That was me. Like, mm-hmm. I was always like, I want to go to thrift stores and, like, check out old things. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, you know, I like that she, you know, did things she wasn't supposed to do when it came to, like, art and following the rules in school. So I feel like that was maybe the start of that genre for me of person. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I would say Daria probably started that. I was obsessed with Daria, like, as I, don't, I probably like at 10 years old or something. As soon as I saw like Dari the first time on MTV and heard the theme song, I was just like, this clicks for me. Like this. Yeah. Is yeah. Who? Yeah. So you were you were very much drawn to like alt girl culture. Yeah. You know, I was one of those girls who like I loved shopping at Hot Topic. Yeah. I, I guess I always kind of felt like my older sister who she's much older than me. Like when I was born, she was 18. She was like oh, wow, already okay, engaged. Yeah. You know, so she's firmly Gen X, and I thought she was the coolest person in the world. Like, my Mm. cousins, my older siblings, they're all Gen X, and I just thought, like, they are so cool. They're so... You were a little Gen Xer in 2004. Wow. Yeah, I had this weird little window where I was just like, I want to wear flannel and listen to Arrested Development, and, like, (laughs) my cousins are so cool. They steal from the mall. They don't care about the man. (laughs) You know, and I, my cousin showed me uh, Reality Bites, like, so. <laughs> oh, my God, there it is. Yeah, so I think it was having that influence. I do think Clementine is very, like, Gen X coded, I think. I think you're right about that. Yeah, so I think it was having those siblings. And, like, my sister loved metal. She loved, like, corn. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and uh, like Rob Zombie, anything like that. So she would take me to concert. She would take me to Hot Topic and Vampires, this like local goth shop in our town. What a uh, great name. Oh, what really good name. Really yeah, good they, name. They, really great branding on that. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I got my first pair of like plaid pants with buckles all the way up and down the yes. side. Yes, just you safety know? pins all over the all place. All over, you know, the just black platform shoes, tight black shirts. Uh, that was what I just kind of always thought was cool and aspired to, right? I think we kind of define what's cool by, like, the older girls we see around us. Yeah. And the older girls around me were all just, like, these Gen Xers who were in their early 20s. <laughs> and, I like, getting tattoos and piercings. And I was just like, that is so cool. <laughs> Now, did you did you fe- did you have a community around you as a kid where that where you were going to get the plaid pants together? Your little like, did you have a little gang of aspiring Gen Xers, or uh, were you marching to the beat of your very own drum? Oh, I was definitely marching to the beat of my very own drum. Um, <laughs> I went to a very tiny school. There were only, uh, let's see, I went there when I was in fourth grade, and at that point, there were three girls in my class, mm-hmm. and the entire class was nine kids and oh i i think by sixth and seventh grade we probably had 14 or 15 kids in the whole class and probably at most six to seven girls so very small i was the only person of color uh well the only the only black person we Uh we did have a pakistani kid and I think it was just the two of us, but right, <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was just me and, and then and one other kid. Uh, but, you know, so I stood out anyway. So for me, it was like, I'm going to I'm already going to stand out. I may as well, like, stand out the way I want and wear like a corn right. shirt. 
but then the thing was, our school, 6th through 12th graders, were all in the same building. So, you know, we all took classes in the same rooms. Our lockers were in the same locker area. Okay. Like, you, it was very normal to be in 6th grade and have friends who were in high school. Like, my best friend was a ninth grader. Uh, yeah. And she, like, introduced me. Like, we would make mix CDs for each other where we'd introduce yeah. each other to, like, Amy Mann and, yeah. you know, yeah, like, PJ Harvey and all this kind of stuff. And there were, like, three high schoolers at my school who were true goths, like, wore all black. And I thought they were the coolest kids. <laughs> I truly just wanted to impress them so bad. I was like, oh, I have a corn shirt, too. Yeah, I like, I like that music. And I'm just... 12 years old they're like 17 (laughs) and I'm just like you guys are so cool like I just yeah you know (laughs) I love it when I see like you know around Fairfax uh, here in LA I feel like a lot I love it when I see goth kids still yeah when I'm just like you know what the goths are still here the goths goths are still still here and they look like the goths I went to high school yeah I, I love that it is a kind of like time immemorial aesthetic Exactly. It's amazing. It, it truly, it was the same when I was doing it. We would wear a lot of plaid, uh, yeah. very pale, like foundation, black lipstick. Uh, yep. I had a fake nose ring because uh, I was 12. So <laughs> my mom did allow me to buy a fake nose ring from Hot Topic. That was good of her. That was nice. Uh, yeah, of her. that was nice of her. And I would wear it around my neighborhood and swear it was real. I would be like, my mom, let me do it. You don't know anything. <laughs> You don't know anything. And of course, these kids are just like, it's not real. Like, we can literally see the, like, spring part. Like, <laughs> it's not real. How did you, like, there's the, like, the, the authenticity of this, like, oh, I'm this goth kid. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm moody. It's Amy Mann. I'm, I'm so hooked in. I'm doing slam poetry. I'm watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Do you, like, are you, are you an alt adult as well like, did you carry that with you or do you like you're like oh, I started becoming a normie once I hit like 30 sort of situation like yeah. how where does the adult where does the striving like very adult teen goth alt kid fit with yeah. grown up you I mean you know it is so much work to be that kid like it is. It it's is, a lot of work, right? It's so much work. And back then, I, you know, was deep in my Kaza and LimeWire being like, no, I have to make sure that I have, like, the latest La Tigre EP and that I know yeah. the, the, like, newest band at Asthmatic Kitty. Like, I need to keep up and know every coolest movie. And, Shit, like, yeah. you know, it's constantly trying to show like oh I just saw this new thing that you don't know about or oh I know I just watched this like French thing and it's so much just trying to keep up and yeah I got so tired of that by the time that I graduated from college I would say my early like 23 24 for me was when I was like you know what I'm gonna listen to just music I enjoy like why (laughs) It's okay if I just like it. Yeah, it's okay if I just like it. And I I did genuinely love bands, you know, like, that that I loved back then. I love love La Tigre. I love all that. But I would also just be like, oh, yeah, I just want to listen to Beyonce. And I can do that. And I can just listen to Beyonce, and it's fine. And if I don't listen to the new Deer Hunter album the day it comes out, that... (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Like I, I do can just... still get to listen to it eventually. Uh, but yeah, like, but I don't need to show that I'm so looped in and caught up. And so I think from there, I just kind of slowly started to be that less and less. You know, I wasn't really aware of like what makes you a cool kid anymore obviously you got to stay in touch it changes who you're talking it about it changes so fast it changes so fast and so one day i'm just you know loving eternal sunshine the spotless mind being a goth kid you know being my pretentious bergman loving self and then the next thing you know it's like oh well that's not cool like now we love a24 and yes you know, something called Midsommar, which (laughs) I've still never seen, baby. So (laughs) (laughs) I am, I've always been a top 40 girl. I love the mainstream. I I love trash. Like give it all to me. I will find the high art in it and I will revel in the low art of it. And 
Sometimes I mean, nice things are just nice and good things are just good. It's fine. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. I've just I've continued to embrace that. Like, you know, yeah. I, I always on my podcast say, like, you know, at TV I say we celebrate all TV. Yes. Uh, I hate the idea of like something being peak TV or the golden era of TV when to me, you know, my strange addiction is the golden era of TV. Like <laughs> yeah. it's a different kind of golden. Maybe it's people who are addicted to drinking their own pee, but <laughs> It's, yeah, maybe. It's, yeah, it's still some sort of art that says something about the human condition, and let's mm-hmm. talk about that. So, well, that yeah, I have an I have an entire podcast that's dedicated to like horror cinema of the millennium era, like late nineties into to the two thousands and like early tens. And talking about, like, the social, political, sort of anthropological landscape that gave birth to these, like, sleepover horror movies, like Sorority (laughs) Row and 13 Ghosts and things like Scream and the Craft. And talking about how, like, so many of the movies that felt so, that were so maligned at the time and kind of chalked up to the notion of being just a part of, like, the MTVization of horror and the, like, franchise super boom and Britain, like, revivals and reboots and remixes of older properties. But you watch these movies now and it's like, God, it just kind of feels like we didn't know how good we had it at the time. Because it it can tell you so much about who we were and what we valued at the time. When you look at these time capsule, at times, yes, on the surface, totally vapid and absolutely problematic horror movies. But they are a looking glass into who we were at the time. And they're a kind of shameless prioritization of having a good time that you do have a harder time coming by these days. Oh, yeah. You know, I yeah, I I so often I watch things from the early two thousands, and it's astonishing how much we've changed in terms of like tone and what's allowed and what entertain people. You know, like I yes, I do think something like an Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think that movie has aged perfectly. I think it's still just as good as it was when it came out. But I do think if you made something like that today. It would be kind of be like outright dismissed. Like people would just kind of be like, oh, she's a manic pixie dream girl. I know this story. No, thank you. Like right. I'm not even going to engage with this discourse around this. And there would be no attempt to even like see Clementine as her own character. Like, you know, I think, and yeah, and not to be like, oh, because well, you couldn't make things like this today. It's just the way we discuss movies isn't the same. You know, like I saw that as a kid and I ran to start like a live journal group where we yeah. dissected like every single moment. And now it is more, uh, I'd say it's less interactive. You know, people will go to TikTok and watch someone break down That's the movie for them or tell them about it or explain things to them. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're talking in the comments, uh, but it's not as sort of, I'm going to make a video about this too. And you watch my video. It's kind of like you go to the influencers who are going to tell you about this or you want to read what so-and-so specifically has to say about Mm -hmm. it. Uh, And it is kind of less of the, the town hall version of early internet where we we had, where just kind of anyone could. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone could just like join a group and be like, Hey, (laughs) I hope there are characters out there like Clementine inspiring the kids uh, somewhere, wherever the kids are watching what they watch on <laughs> YouTube shorts or TikTok, yeah. whatever it is. I hope they have their version of a Clementine encouraging them to to be weird. <laughs> I guess as we as we come to the end of our time, I want to circle back to like the mention of the Man and Pixie Dream Girl and connecting it to like your roots at the AV Club where Nathan uh, Rabin, yes, uh, yeah. he was the one to have coined the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl in a review of Elizabethtown talking about Kirsten Dunst's character. And I wanted to hear from you about like, what is your... How have you sort of, because obviously he went on to like apologize for even creating that term. It kind of metastasized and he's like, and now it's just sort of anything that gets applied to a girl with quirk. With quirk. And I feel like it's gone too far and I didn't mean to do this. What is your sort of evolution with that term, having identified with a character that strongly fits within that archetype, even as she dismantles the archetype being like, I'm not here to like give a man, make him feel alive. Like, did you have an evolution with Manic Pixie Dream Girl? Have you yeah. come to a piece with that? And you know, I was one of those people who was like, oh, of course, this is a genius term. Like it applies. Like, of course, oh, yeah. you know, and this is like we had 500 days of summer. This is like when we're just seeing this over and over again. And like yeah. every film thought, oh my God, what is more interesting than a white man who dates? And I do think it was (laughs) like period a white man who dates a white man who dates oh my goodness and (laughs) 
So I do think it was a necessary term for that time. And then, of course, like most terms that like go viral on Tumblr and all these things, its meaning was kind of lost. And it just started to apply to like a woman who helps a man in a relationship in a movie. Yeah. And a woman who laughs. Who laughs. Like, you know. I think I saw someone try to say that, like, uh, I May Destroy You was, like, a twist on the Manic Pixie Dream Girl archetype. And I was like, she's not. Like, what? That shouldn't even be in conversation. And that's when I was just like, people don't know what this phrase means anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we lost the plot. We lost the plot. I'm just going to disregard all of that. Uh, But I do think kind of like the Bechdel test, right? It can be helpful and a necessary thing to think about, but you also just have to remember it has its limits, okay? Yeah. It can apply to everything. It doesn't apply to everything, but it is something you should keep in mind. Like, is my character a character? Is she just here to, like, reflect back someone else or to, you know, frame someone else's growth? You know, so I think as in the overall i'm happy that we had that moment because now people do think about that you know i think it's given us just more exciting and deeper feminine characters like you know i think it's funny that zoe de chanel people would obviously point to like 400 days of summer but then you look at new girl and it's one of the yeah. most celebrated sitcoms that's like of not, the 21st century yeah absolutely you know, and it's not because she's this quirky manic pixie dream girl. It's because Jess is a funny full character on her own. So, you know, don't let it, it's one of those things where I'm just like, you know, misogynists are eager to pick up on it. Let it like limit discourse. Yeah. They wanted they started to use it as a way to just like shut a female character down. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's today we, we it can be so much more than that. So. <laughs> I, uh, unlike the lessons of Bergman, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, not a term that can be applied to everything. Yeah, yeah. And I would say Bergman does have some Manic Pixie Dream Girl energy in some of his films. Definitely, like, Summers with Monica, that's very Manic Pixie. So This is, this is the exact kind of note that I want to go out on, is saying (laughs) that Bergman at times has some Manic Pixie Dream Girl energy in his films. This is, I feel like this is our points coalescing. Yeah. (laughs) I could make the argument scenes from a marriage a little manic pixie, but she does. She is a fully developed character. She's wonderful. I love that that series. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we are going to leave the marriage of manic pixie dream girl and Ingmar Bergman as the <laughs> concluding note of the pod. And Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us today. Ah. I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Thank you so much to Ashley Ray. Her debut comedy album, Ice Cream Money, comes out this fall. And remember, you can always listen to TV I Say with Ashley Ray wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the one quick thing before I go about, as I said, the cinematic event. You know what? The cinematic event of the summer is what I said up top. This is, it's the cinematic event of the year. Maybe that's, we found it, guys. We found how to save theaters just a schedule two appointment blockbusters by two of our biggest working directors that will also both get critical acclaim. Schedule both of those on the same weekend so people can put together a catchy portmanteau like Barbenheimer to say that they did it and turn out at the theater to see both movies at once in the same day. I'm going this weekend. I'm going this weekend. It's going to be a breakfast, Oppenheimer, Margarita's Barbie kind of marathon day, which like what other kind of event do you have at the Grove in Los Angeles besides that? That sounds like the dream of Rick Caruso to me, not Mayor Rick Caruso. Oops. Um, But Barbenheimer, this like both of these movies, they, like Barbie cleaned up. It became the biggest opening weekend from a female director of all time. I'm reading a headline right now from Variety, published just uh, on the 25th, that says, Barbie scores best ever Monday for Warner Brothers with $26 million overtaking The Dark Knight. Uh, Oppenheimer has passed the $100 million mark domestically here. Um, And that just means, you know what that means? 
Cinema One. We have an we have an IP piece, you know, IP adjacent, where a, a filmmaker with a distinct voice and taste and take and personality was uh was given a shot to make a movie about one of the most popular products in the history of toys and products uh, with Barbie, uh, which she wrote with her husband, Noah Baumbach, and made it into something where, like, one of the catchphrase lines from the trailer was Margot Robbie's Barbie saying, do you guys ever think about dying? A friend of mine, I texted her after she got out. I was like, what did you think? And she was like, um, I, best movie of the year it made me not only want to be a better person, but inspired me as, like, a creative and a filmmaker. I'm not saying that's gonna be everybody's reaction to Barbie, but, like, that's how some people are experiencing this film. And Oppenheimer, I, I believe Vulture referred to it as, like, an epic tragedy. And it is a alienatingly long three-hour Christopher Nolan movie about the guy who led the effort to create the bomb the nuclear bomb in the United States and put the full power of the universe and evil into the hands of uh, humans, which should never have happened. But hey, we did it. Um, Yeah, those two movies, a lot of people going to see them at the same time. That won the box office in its opening frame. And it is still rolling in the dough in days after it. Like, that's that's a win for cinema. We say support independent cinema on this podcast all the time. Support spectacle cinema that is taking big swings about topics you might think you know. J. Robert Oppenheimer and Barbie. But that you could learn something about through the perspective of artists that are meant to give us art that challenges the way we understand things. I think we, you know, we are sure we already know. So that's awesome. That's exciting. I'm stoked to partake in my own Barbenheimer journey this weekend. I think I have like at least two to three Barbenheimer shirts coming in the mail at some point in time. I've purchased a Barbenheimer 18 by 24 limited print poster released by Layered Butter and designed by the artist Sean Longmore. I'm so Barbenheimer pilled. Um, because who doesn't love saying it too? And a fun part of this phenomenon too, I've noticed that I follow a lot of like, like horror t-shirt accounts, like, and they do like, they do mostly horror stuff, like horror genre, like deep cut, you know, cult cinema stuff. They do like t-shirt releases around them, clothing things, multiple of those accounts, multiple of those accounts has been like, guys, should we release a Barbie line? So these like horror specific things that are feeding you like Jason regalia, on the regular are like, guys, we can't deny it. It's Barbenheimer. It's bar like we saw Barbie this week. We loved it. We are doing a Barbie drop. So like, come on. That is putting that is putting Barbie into the hands of horror bros who want to wear shirts with a stack of John Carpenter VHS tapes on a graphic on their chest. They might buy Barbie clothes. That sounds like the future that liberals want. That's the future that this liberal wants. Uh, hooray for cinema. That's a win for all of us. And that's it. That's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.